Welcome to the markets. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong. I'm Orion Samuelson with a look at what happened on Wall Street this week and what happened at the grain market and the livestock market. But this date, Friday, July 12, will be remembered well until we set new record highs. Because today on Wall Street, all three major indices posted record closing highs because of solid expectations for an interest rate cut from the Federal Reserve at their meeting on July 30 and 31. So let's look at the numbers first of all, the record-setting numbers that we saw today. The Dow up to 139 points, ending the day and the week at a record high of 27,327 The S&P 500 up 13 points, ending the week at 3,013. The NASDAQ up 48 points for the day, ending at 82.44. And for the first time in history, the S&P 500 closed above 3,000. For the week, the S&P rose three-quarters of a percent, The Dow added 1.5%, and the NASDAQ gained 1%. Quite a day on Wall Street, because in his two-day testimony before Congress this week, the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, said the U.S. economy was still under threat from disappointing factory activity, tame inflation, and a simmering trade war, and that the central bank stood ready to, quote, act as appropriate. And one analyst said clearly his message was far more directive in terms of what the Fed is going to do at the next meeting than just a vague promise to keep the economic expansion intact. And with expectations for rate cuts in place, The focus will now turn to the corporate earnings season next week as we start the earnings report season with the large U.S. banks, including Citigroup and J.P. Morgan Chase, set to report during the week next week. Data for U.S. producer prices in June showed the smallest annual increase in producer inflation in nearly two and a half years, and a slowdown in underlying producer prices, which suggested that overall inflation could remain moderate for a while. Ford Motor Company shares today gained two and two-thirds percent after the automaker and Volkswagen said they would join forces to develop autonomous and electric cars. Johnson & Johnson, though, down four percent after Bloomberg reported the Justice Department is pursuing a criminal probe into whether the health care conglomerate lied about potential cancer risks of its talcum powder. Johnson & Johnson slide dragged down the S&P 500 healthcare index, whose 1.2% decline was the biggest decline among S&P 500 sectors. But as I said, a record-setting day for Wall Street today. 
And then let's look at oil. Oil prices, a little change today as U.S. Gulf of Mexico crude output dropped by more than half from disruptions caused by a tropical storm. But concerns over a global crude surplus in the months ahead limited the gains. Brent crude futures settled at $66.72 a barrel, climbing 20 cents for the day, and U.S. crude settled at $620.21 a barrel, up just 1%. Brent gained 4% this week, while U.S. crude posted an increase of 4.7%. Tropical Storm Barry, which is expected to become a hurricane just before making landfall this weekend, boosted crude futures as oil companies in the Gulf of Mexico sliced production and evacuated some of those pumping stations in the Gulf as that storm advanced. One other Oil note, U.S. energy firms this week reduced the number of oil rigs operating for a second week in a row. Drillers cut four oil oil rigs in the week to July 12, bringing the total count down to 784. That's the lowest oil rig count since February of 2018. General Electric Company's Baker Hughes Energy Services firm said that in its closely watched report today. That compares with 863 rigs operating during the same week a year ago. 863 rigs then, and now down to 784 oil rigs operating. Well, as I said, uh, the next corporate earnings report season gets underway in the week ahead. On Tuesday, J.P. Morgan and Chase, the biggest U.S. bank by assets, expected to report sluggish profit growth in the second quarter on lower investment banking fees and net interest income. Wells Fargo and Company likely to report second quarter earnings for the second time under its interim CEO on the same day. And investors will be anxious to hear updates on the CEO search since financial guidance is suspended until a permanent leader is found. Bank of America scheduled to report results for the second quarter on Wednesday. Then we look at Johnson & Johnson, the first major drug maker to report second quarter results. The company expected to post a year-over-year jump in quarterly profit on Tuesday, but investors will watch out for the conglomerate's comments on future deals, ongoing litigation, and potential changes to drug pricing policy. Abbott Laboratories expected to post a higher second quarter profit on Wednesday when it reports. Microsoft expected to post an increase in its fourth quarter profit and revenue on Thursday. Powered by growth in its flagship cloud product, Azure. United Health Group set to report second quarter earnings on Thursday. The health insurer expected to comment on prospects for its business after the Trump government killed a proposal that aimed at ending Medicare drug rebates. 
and investors will watch for comments on whether United Health will change its decision to only offer employers benefit plans that pass on the discounts at the pharmacy counter. Going on with the reports due next week, Netflix expected to post second quarter subscribers growth in line with estimates, and that'll happen on Wednesday. Investors will focus on its third quarter forecast, which is expected to benefit from the release of the latest seasons of Stranger Things and Orange is the New Black. IBM, International Business Machines, expected to report a decline in second quarter revenue on Wednesday as demand for its cloud and cognitive software helped to slightly offset a fall in demand for its traditional mainframe businesses. On Wednesday, eBay expected to report an increase in second quarter revenue as it benefits from user-friendly tweaks to its website and its new advertising and payments initiatives. Omnicom Group expected to report a decline in second quarter revenue on Wednesday, hurt by lower client spending, especially in European markets. And then taking a look at other reports that will be influencing the market activity Tuesday, the Labor Department expected to report import prices narrowed to six-tenths of a percent in June compared to a three-tenths percent fall in May. The Commerce Department scheduled to report retail sales on Tuesday. It's expected to have declined Uh, to two-tenths of a percent in June from five-tenths of a percent the previous month. Industrial production expected to have lowered to a tenth of a percent in June from four-tenths of a percent in May. On the same day, the National Association of Home Builders and Wells Fargo expected to report their index of builder confidence remained unchanged in July. And on Wednesday, the Commerce Department scheduled to report building permits in June up 1.3 million. Meanwhile, the department is likely to report housing starts drop to 1,262,000 in June. And the Labor Department on Thursday likely to report initial claims for state unemployment benefits rose to 215,000 for the week ended July 13th. As usual, the governors of the Federal Reserve will be on the road or in the air again next week, speaking at various meetings and conferences around the country. Credit card issuer American Express expected to report its second quarter results on Friday before markets open. The New York-based company expected to post an increase in quarterly profit on the back of stronger customer spending. Investors will be looking at Amex's spending on its rewards program and any commentary on its efforts toward co-branding. Then uh, we look to Thursday. Honeywell International expected to report lower revenue for the second quarter. Domino's Pizza scheduled to report its second quarter results on Tuesday. Same store sales expected to have risen at a slower rate, hurt by competition from restaurants expanding their delivery service. 
And then on Tuesday, we looked north to Canada. Canadian Pacific Railway Limited expected to report an increase in second quarter profit aided by higher freight volumes of commodities such as grain and coal. And the same day, CSX Corporation, that's the third largest railroad operator in the United States, scheduled to report results for the second quarter when flooding in the Midwest and soft demand weighed on industry cargo volumes. Thursday, Union Pacific Corporation, that's one of the largest railroad operators in the U.S., expected to report that volume fell 4% in the second quarter again because of the floods in the Midwest. And then getting back to Monday, Citigroup will be the first major bank to report second quarter earnings, and investors will be looking for signs that banks can still grow loans and deposits in a slowing economy. It'll be a busy week as we move into the corporate earnings report season. When we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation Foundation is here to help. Clayton Pope, Clayton Pope Commodities at the microphone with us this weekend. I don't want to do too much Monday morning quarterbacking here or burying, but the faith, the confidence in National Ag Statistics Service reports had to fade dramatically in the past few days with that June report. You don't want to be in the way of a June report either, do you? Yeah, boy, isn't that the truth? Anything to do with these early planning reports, they've always been infamous for just uh, making a lot of people mad and shocking the trade. You know, Starting with the, Mar- the, the March 31st tradition, you know, the prospective plannings report, uh, it always rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But I, I think this latest round of uh, angst over it is a little misguided, if you ask me. I mean, number one, I mean, good grief, if the, are these guys up to a Herculean task here or what? Really difficult, I think, to, to get a grasp of the situation. Uh, i got to think they're doing the best they can. And I think, to a large extent, the trade's kind of shooting the messenger just because it's not what they wanted to hear. Some people suggested that report should not have been released, the acreage report, given the tentative nature the uh, very late planting. Are you in that camp? I'm not. I, I mean, let's go for it. You, you know, you can't just shut down because uh, it, it's too hard of a task. I think you got to make your best effort. Now, we live with these numbers for several weeks now. That's the thing. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, we live with them. Um, as we all know, the, the private estimates that will always be coming out don't carry near the, the weight to the market that the official USDA numbers do. But uh, I think just judging or you know, looking at the situation in terms of prevent plant and, and the way the, the, the survey was conducted, you know, the actual wording of the questions, uh, you know, we're really going to have to wait a long time. So even this resurvey that they're going to do, uh, that's still going to leave a lot of questions unanswered. And it really looks like we're going to have to wait for those final crop insurance filings to come in and, 
as we all know by now, that takes a long time for those to kind of slowly filter in. So, yeah, we're in a long-term discovery process here. The resurveyed numbers will be coming out as a part of the August report, right? Covering more than a dozen states? That's what I understand, yeah, 13 or 14 states, and uh, it'll be, I think it's the August 12th supply and demand will be on that. For that producer who's holding on for some real market mover here to the positive side, what do you tell them? Well, our, our attitude here as risk managers is um, more than ever before, uh, we try not to, to recommend a cookie-cutter approach for risk management. I mean, it really depends on what your own particular situation looks like. You've got to go out there and assess your crop. Uh, if, if you do have a decent-looking crop, or, and, and again, you have to break that down. Obviously, some people have some great-looking fields. Some people have some disastrous fields. But, you know, try to get a realistic handle on your production. And, and I think uh, you, you really need to, you know, feed the market here on the production that you have some semblance of certainty on. I realize there's a huge growing season ahead of us time-wise, and this crop is fragile at best. But even that being said, I, I think uh, th- there have been, and, and even at the moment here, there, there's opportunities that we never dreamt would be here uh, two months ago. And I think uh, it, it's it's wise to take a little bit of risk off the table as those opportunities present themselves. I, I just caution customers and listeners to uh, don't drink this bullish Kool-Aid completely because it's very easy to get swept up in it and think, oh, there, I'd be an idiot to sell right now because who knows what we're going to. And the fact of the matter is if, if you can lock in a, a decent profit on something that you never dreamt was possible two or three months ago, why not? Has there been too much looking out the kitchen window here? Has that been sort of fostering that sentiment among, among producers that there's a rip-roaring rally out there somewhere? Yes, uh, that, that's always a, a pitfall, I think, you know, for the grower. But uh, understandably so, though. I mean, here I, uh, you know, it's funny, in, in other years sometimes, you know, you step outside and, you know, it's 95 degrees, it's blistering high. You can't help but have that affect your psyche and the way you look at things. But, um the the fact is though, Max, it, it's amazing this year. I mean, we've got offices throughout the growing uh, area, a number of offices, a number of states, and I, I got to say that I've been in this business a long time, and, and uh, there aren't many times when I've heard you know eyewitness accounts of just how bad it is is this year. So uh, even though there's a lot of backwarditis, I got to say this backwarditis is very widespread. The geography is impressive, isn't it? When you look at the expanse that is covered. By uh, by poor crops and late planted crops. Now, yeah, it's kind of mind boggling, really. We looked at the weekly crop bulletin, and this week it showed no improvement whatsoever in the condition of the corn and soybean crops. No decline in the condition rating. Still somewhere in the neighborhood of forty forty five percent. No better than fair. Right. Okay. You know, fair, poor, or very poor. Right mm-hmm. around forty four forty five percent. This kind of weather that we have here. And, and 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 we're not used to studying crops this immature with this kind of heat at this stage in the calendar, right? I mean, when That's you take a look sure. at it, and is it good or bad at this point? I mean, people talk about greenhouse conditions. That's what you want right now, isn't mm-hmm. it, at this early stage for many of these plants? Well, Plenty of moisture and... The heat is turned on. Well, that's the crazy thing. I mean, in spite of the way we stumbled out of the starting block here, think the, the the weather right now is pretty picture perfect for those that do have it planted. Again, if you ignore the calendar, you know, everybody's worried about, you know, what happens when this stuff has to pollinate it. The last half or last week of July, first week of August, you know, when the sun starts to shut down later on for beans and so forth and so on. Uh, there's, you know, uncertainties that we've just never really had to deal with before. And then uh, obviously the talk of early frost risk and that kind of thing. But um, add it all together and 
Uh, even though we have some you know, excellent conditions right now, I think everybody would be in agreement that, that both the corn and soybean crops, given the, the late start and the, and the nasty conditions, uh, it, it's it's fragile, extremely fragile. And uh, even though conditions are good right now, it wouldn't take a very long spell uh, of those conditions you know, winding down uh, before I think the trade could get real excited again. Late season weather is going to be more important than ever before, isn't it? I mean, weather on into September, yeah, October, absolutely. perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, definitely. So it's kind of frustrating because it's kind of like hurry up and wait. And uh, I think it, it's we really have no choice because, number one, we have still really a very poor handle on what the heck the acres are. It's still a work in progress, actually. Um, and then the yield is uh, really completely still to be deper- determined. Farmer commented this week, uh, I spent four months planting. <laughs> I'll be spending probably at least four months harvesting, he oh, figures. Brother. When you take a look at uh, the scenario out there, this price setback, has it encouraged the end users at all? Has there been some buying uh, overseas or buying uh, you know, by those who are going to need that? That's grade? a great question because I think uh, this whole question of elasticity of demand is, is huge right now, especially as it pertains to the corn market. Uh, to, to answer your question directly, n- no, I, I'm not seeing any sign of a big pickup in demand. I mean, the weekly export sales are really the best barometer we have, and there's nothing to write home about, and certainly the inspections aren't either. But, um, you know, a lot of the models where people you know trying to project what the ending stocks will be for corn, you know, down the road and, you know, for the new crop um, – there's varying approaches to it, but an awful lot of people, I think, make the mistake of they cut production by, you know, whatever, let's say a billion bushels, and then they leave demand unchanged. Well, that's not realistic because I think over the long term, historically, uh, for every bushel that you see cut back in production, you'll typically see something like oh, 60 to 75 percent of an offsetting reduction in, in usage as well. However, for that to, to unfold that way, presumably you have to have higher prices to, to cause that elasticity of demand to choke off demand. And yet when we see this market fall out of bed like it has been recently, there's no reason to see any uh, cut, you know, corresponding cut back in usage. So I think what this might do is it, it kind of forces the whole price discovery mechanism to, to look further down the road. And uh, whereas everybody kind of wanted to see that reward right up front and it was there for a while, but now it's disappeared again as markets have receded. Um, you know, we could be looking at a tighter situation in the last half of this new crop year, uh, because if and when we're going to have tight stocks, that's when it would be, especially if prices stay low and we don't cut demand off at all. So it's going to be a real complex situation going forward. Is there the feeling that there's going to be, again, big production in South America? And does that uh, blunt this whole discussion a little bit? Does that temper any enthusiasm about seeing stocks pull down? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the world carryover, if you look at a stocks to usage ratio chart in corn and especially beans, uh, as tight as things might pencil out here domestically in the U.S., uh, it, it, it's, it's certainly cut back on that world uh, carryover, but but it's still pretty burdensome for both corn and beans, and there lies the problem. Clayton, thanks for coming into the studio again. Always my pleasure. We'll see you down the road, but maybe this picture is a little clearer. Let's hope so. (laughs) Clayton Pope. Clayton Pope Commodities. As we look further at the agricultural community this week, the African swine fever story continues to spread. And let me share several stories dealing with the disease that came out this week. Cargill closed animal feed mills in China in recent months, 
partly because the rapid spread of that fatal hog disease has reduced demand. The closures highlight the pain for global agriculture companies from the outbreak of African swine fever in China. Again, I'll let you know, China is the world's top producer of hogs and the top consumer of pork. And there's no cure yet for African swine fever. No vaccine kills almost all of the infected pigs, although it does not harm people. And the best numbers we get from China, which I'm not sure most people are willing to accept with China's history, the disease has killed more than a million pigs in China since the nation's first reported case last August, reducing demand for feed ingredients such as soy meal and premixes, which are blends of vitamins and other nutrients sold by Cargill and other suppliers. This is not a six-month trend for China to recover, according to Chuck Warda, who is president of Cargill's animal nutrition and pre-mix business. This is a 24-month, 36-month kind of resetting of the world's population of animals. And adding to that story, meat infected by African swine fever has been found in the United Kingdom for the first time. African swine fever has been picked up in meat seized by port authorities in Northern Ireland. That's the first time the African swine fever virus has been detected in the U.S. Officials confiscated more than 300 kilos of illegal meat and dairy products from airport passengers' luggage in June, and uh, samples tested by a scientific firm confirmed the traces of the virus, which is highly contagious and can survive for several months in processed meat, indeed were found. And the concern over this one continues to grow because it is a very scary situation for a very important source of protein, particularly in China and Vietnam, and other countries in Southeast Asia. And that gives me another opportunity to again say, if you're traveling foreign anywhere this year, when you come back to the United States and you're on the airplane and the flight attendants hand out those Department of Agriculture cards, Answer them honestly, particularly the question that wonders if you have been on a farm. And a lot of people like to say no to that because they think it'll slow down their coming through customs and immigration when they return to the United States. The slowdown will be minimal, but the results are very important. Because if that disease gets into the United States... Who knows how much more damage it will do to the pork industry, not only in this country, but in countries around the world. It's already been found, of course, in 
Vietnam and Southeast Asia. It's been found in some other European Union countries, and now it is discovered in the United Kingdom. And I'm sure memories of the uh, foot and mouth disease situation a decade or so ago is deep in the minds of people in the UK because they had to kill thousands of cattle to put an end to that disease. Again, I cannot emphasize enough that you answer the USDA questions accurately and honestly. The uh, the markets uh, this week, uh, of course, we talked about Wall Street and the record setting there, but uh, markets were reacting to weather in grain trade, and as we ended the day today, the September wheat contract was up one and three quarters of a cent, the July corn contract up two cents, the December corn contract, however, up 11 and three quarter cents. Soybeans were higher. The July contract up six and three quarter cents, but the new crop November soybeans ended up 14 and a quarter cents a bushel. And in livestock futures, a couple of days this week that we saw daily limit up moves in the lean hog contracts didn't happen uh, today with the um, October contract up a dollar 65 cents a hundredweight the October cattle contract up 65 cents a hundredweight and the October feeder cattle contract ended the day down 90 cents a hundredweight and then we'll close on this note farm aid coming back to the midwest in september And the folks at Farm Aid are now selling tickets for the Farm Aid concert, and they are encouraging fans to purchase tickets early because last year's festival in Hartford, Connecticut, sold out in just under four hours. The uh, tickets uh, are on sale. The concert is September 21 in... East Troy, Wisconsin, which is southwest of Milwaukee, northwest of Chicago. And again, they say, get your tickets early and enjoy the concert. Some big names on that concert again this year. Well, that's our time. As always, we thank you for joining us. Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson with you on The Markets. 